Good morning. My name is Kayla Hurst, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate, where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. I am so glad you're here today, and I want to make a personal shout out to my mom on this Mother's Day. Hi, Mom. Thanks for watching. We're starting a brand new series today called Disrupting Chaos. We want to disrupt the chaos that has become so normal for so many of us. We want to do that to find more peace, joy, and contentment. See, we become desensitized to situations we are exposed to repeatedly. And we often normalize our reaction to those situations until it simply becomes the way we do life, even if we know it's not what we want. I don't know about you, but I have become accustomed to a certain way of life during this quarantine. That way of life includes stretchy pants and Chips Ahoy cookies and milk daily. I don't think I even liked Chips Ahoy cookies before the shelter in place. I prefer a soft, chewy chocolate chip cookie, preferably homemade by someone other than me. But one night, I saw my husband Jeff eating Chips Ahoy and milk, so I took one. And then the next evening, I did it again, and then again. And on the third night, I got super stabby because my kids had the audacity to eat the last of the cookies. It was not good for anyone. The next day, my loving and evidently enabling husband got more chips ahoy. Now listen, it's no secret I'm a sweet tooth, but I usually have higher standards than this. Somehow I have normalized those crunchy, dry mini hockey pucks as a part of my everyday life. Quarantine will do strange things to a person, and things far worse than a cookie habit and a complete disregard for real pants. Chaos has become normal to us just like subpar cookies have to me. We've just accepted it as a part of life right now, but I think that's dangerous. So in this series, we're gonna identify the chaos that is a part of our experience right now and the ways that we could too easily allow it to become normal in our lives. Before we're done today, I'm gonna present a tool that will carry with us through this entire series. It'll help us disrupt the chaos we're experiencing and replace it with peace, joy, and contentment. This whole series will be centered on a small portion of one of Jesus' most famous teachings. Our text is actually right in the middle of a sermon that Jesus gives. It's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. In this teaching, he's describing a new way to be human, a picture of what it looks like to be a kingdom person, someone who lives the way we originally designed and created to live which oftentimes ends up being countercultural and even subversive. Jesus comes offering access to that kind of life and describes it in his sermon. As we go along, I want us to see this teaching not as nice spiritual suggestions, but rather as a way of life that has tangible consequences in our own lives. The passage is found in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? We're talking about worry, the real chaos instigator. Listen, friends, there is certainly chaos going on all around us, and unfortunately, there's only so much we can do about it. But the chaos only grows when we allow worry to take over, and it happens inside us. Look at the way that Jesus talks about worry here. He talks about two broad categories, your life and your body. 
But with each one, he talks about being concerned about one specific aspect of it. It's fascinating and totally true to my experience and my observation. See, when you live with an over-concerned focus on a narrow thing, it breeds worry for the larger, broader experience. He says you worry about your life, a broad category, because you're over-focusing on what you will eat and drink, a narrow concern. You're worried about your body, a broad category, because you're over-focusing on what you wear, a narrow concern. And then he flips it. But isn't life more than what you eat and drink? See, when you live with an over-focused concern on a narrow thing, it breeds worry and chaos for the larger, broader experience. But Jesus gives instruction on what to do when we find ourselves living in that chaos. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's saying, okay, let's do a case study. Let's take this one narrow area of your life that's breeding worry and chaos, and let's look at it. The birds have the same need as you, food. These suckers don't plant anything. They don't save anything. They don't even have jobs, and yet they're taken care of. Your heavenly father feeds them. They're taken care of and they're birds. The message version says they are careless in the care of God. See, what Jesus is trying to get us to realize is this. When you get to the point where you're over-concerned and worried, where chaos is growing in your mind and your heart and your life, you have to step back and ask the question, who is actually responsible for the outcome of this? Are the birds responsible for whether there's enough food for them to eat? No, they're simply responsible for recognizing what's been provided and then utilizing it. What causes worry and breeds chaos and what makes us different from the birds is that we have completely misplaced the ultimate responsibility. We're trying to make ourselves responsible for things that we are not responsible for. It's like teaching your kid to drive a car trying to take on the responsibility of that situation when you have no control. There's no brake pedal on the passenger side. Many parents have made a hole in the floorboard trying to find it during driving practice. And it's what's so frustrating about backseat drivers. They get all tied up in knots because they want control, but they're not in the driver's seat. They're trying to act like they're responsible when they're not. What makes it even harder for us as humans, is that we're giving control over to an invisible God. Let's think for just a moment about what we believe about that invisible God. We believe that he created the world, the very real, not invisible at all world we live in right now. We believe that he created this world ex nihilo. He created something out of nothing. We believe that this invisible God created humanity and breathed life into human beings, into you, into me. This invisible creator and life giver would care so passionately about you and me that he would enter into this world and become visible, taking on flesh and blood and living among us. He would even accept limitations on his godness because he cared that much about interacting and being with us. 
This same God would allow himself to be beaten and mocked and to die a criminal's death on the cross. But we also believe that this God wouldn't stay dead, that he would rise from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. And then? Then he would ascend to the right hand of the Father, not to leave us alone, but to prepare a place for us and leave us the helper, God himself, who is with every believer every moment of every day in the Holy Spirit. You see, we believe some pretty remarkable things about this invisible God. But when it comes to what school I'm going to go to when I graduate, or how I'm going to make sure my kids make good and wise decisions, or whether or not I'll be healed from this disease, or if we can make our mortgage payment next month, those things, those things we act like are too big for the God who breathed life into being and raised himself from the dead. That, that he can't be trusted to be responsible with those areas of our lives. No, no, we have to hold on to the responsibility for that stuff. My soul, sure, he's got that. But my life, my family, my health, my finances, I've got to keep a tight grip and stay super focused on that stuff so I can be sure things will be taken care of. And there's the chaos. Living that way is completely incompatible and irreconcilable with what we say we believe. Right here. In this chaos, this is where our faith has to move from an intellectual exercise to a tangible, real expression in our everyday lives. We have to take it from our heads down to our hearts and then release our hands. Jesus goes on to ask another rhetorical question in verse 27. He asks this, Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He's saying, what good is worry doing you? What value is it adding to your life? You can be sure it's adding something, but I'm not sure it's what you're hoping for. One researcher wrote this, when you worry, your body responds the same way it would react to physical danger. To help you cope with the physical demands you're about to ask your body to perform, your brain releases stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol into the bloodstream. They trigger a range of physical reactions that will equip your body for action. Your heart rate increases, your breathing becomes heavier, and you may even sweat more. You may also become pale as the blood moves away from your skin toward the muscles to help them prepare for the fight-or-flight situation your worry has created. The fight-or-flight response is your body's instinctive reaction to danger. Unconsciously, your body prepares itself to either run away from danger or becomes very alert in order to fight predators. And that is perfectly designed and would be so good if we were running from lions. But we're not. That means that the stress hormones are still circulating in our bloodstream for a long time. And over time, these chemicals can start to have a toxic effect on our nervous system, our stomach, and our heart. Because your body has tensed, ready to respond to the lions that aren't there, this muscle tension can turn into aches and pains. You can even become more prone to infections, and you'll certainly feel more tired and lethargic. But worry also affects your brain. Worry makes it harder for you to concentrate on one task at a time. It makes it harder to fall asleep at night. And then you're worried about not being able to fall asleep. See, when we're worried, we rarely eat properly, so we're not getting enough vitamins and minerals in our diets. Guys, 
Worry can even lead to depression. So is worry actually making your life more productive, more joyful, more peaceful? Does worry cause you to be more engaged with your family or friends? Does it help you appreciate things in your life more or less? Is worry adding to your experience of life or is it taking away from it? The only thing we gain by worrying, friends, is more chaos. So why do we do it? Why do we continue to white-knuckle chaos under the transparent disguise of worry and control? You know what I think? I think it's because we don't know any other way. This has become normal to us, like Chips Ahoy cookies in quarantine. For far too many of us, worry has become an addiction. We need it in our lives to feel like we're doing something, to feel like we're actively engaged in the pursuit of a solution. To make sense of the chaos around us, we're creating chaos within us through clenched fists and worried hearts. We need to disrupt this chaos. We need to release our grip on things that are not our ultimate responsibility. We have to disrupt the chaos that's become so normal in our lives. We can start by confronting and dealing with our addiction to worry. Someone once said that worry and prayer come out of the same place. It's simply a matter of where you believe the responsibility rests. So what if we began to replace worry with prayer? In his letter to the Christians in Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now hear me right. When Paul wrote this, he wasn't talking about the clinically diagnosable illness of anxiety. He wasn't suggesting that you just need to pray that away. What he's talking about is a misplaced trust that produces a general anxiety. It's a misplaced trust that says, I can take care of it all. I can fix it. If I just think about it hard enough or long enough or often enough, somehow that will make me feel like I can control it. Paul says, what if, instead of living in worry, instead of constantly allowing these anxious thoughts to become normal and commonplace, what if instead you entrusted those areas that you're concerned about to the one who is actually able to do something about it? Not worrying isn't about living irresponsibly. It's about releasing responsibility for things you don't control. But be sure you actually release your grip. Replacing worry with an instructional prayer, the kind of prayer where you expect God to do what you want him to do in the way and the time that you want him to do it, that's not releasing your grip. That won't disrupt chaos. You're still trying to control the outcomes. You're just spiritualizing your need for control. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's also not talking about a hukuna matata, don't worry, be happy, laissez-faire lifestyle that says it doesn't matter what happens, it is what it is. That's just another flimsy attempt to control the chaos by pretending there is no responsibility to be had. But there is. And Paul tells us what happens when we place that responsibility where it belongs. Hear it in the message version. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry 
at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry because worry doesn't belong to you. Jesus does. So let's let our petitions and praises shape our worries into prayers. Let's disrupt the chaos that has started to feel normal or necessary, and let's do it together for 21 days. Let's retrain ourselves. If we use this tool I'm about to give you throughout this series, if we start today, we'll have done it 21 days in a row. Enough time to develop a habit, study say. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray the same prayer for 21 days. I suggest you start your day with it before your feet even hit the floor or over your first cup of coffee or whatever. If you forget, the moment you remember, just stop, breathe, and pray. It'll take 60 seconds. Now, this is not just a habit of daily prayer, although if this is how you start that, awesome. And some of you have already have a habit of daily prayer. But this prayer we're going to pray together for the next 21 days, this is a prayer that will disrupt the pattern of chaos that has become normal. It will retrain us to stop worry in its tracks and put the responsibility back where it belongs. So let's take our faith from our head down to our heart and then release our hands. Are you ready to disrupt chaos in your life? Let's do it. We'll put the disrupting chaos prayer on the screen and let's pray it together. God, help me to trust that you are a good God who cares for me and will provide. Show me where my worry and preoccupation are taking away from my engagement with life. I surrender each of those areas into your trust and care. Today, I'm choosing to believe that I am sustained, not by my efforts or by what's in my control, but instead by your abundance. You are a good God who gives abundantly. Because of that, I will seek first a life under your care and trust you for the outcomes. In this moment, I lay down the concerns I have about tomorrow and the days and weeks after that. I will trust you for today, for this moment, so that I can wake up tomorrow and trust you for that day as well. Amen. Now, let's mark the beginning of this journey together by singing. Stick around. Pastor Larry has some instructions and a blessing for you after the song.